welcome in. We appreciate you joining us for this latest edition of the Frary and Smith podcast. Caden and I were once again excited to be talking some Sunbelt football. But before we do, if you haven't listened to our last episode where we previewed the Sunbelt stadiums with the help of Michael Barker of College Football Campus Tour, you're definitely going to want to take some time to give that episode a listen. Today, though, episode 92 of the show. Caden, we're closing in on 100. We're going to be taking some time to preview the Sunbelt East Division ahead of the 2023 season. Will Coastal Carolina be able to improve on defense? What can James Madison do for an encore? Does Marshall have the pieces to make a run at the conference title? Is Georgia Southern a dark horse candidate and can App State rebound from a disappointing 2022 season? We're going to answer all of those questions and more. Caden, last year at this time, all the talk revolved around the Sunbelt and the Sunbelt East, but it was the West Division that ultimately produced the champion. Do you think that the East could produce the champion in 2023? I definitely can. I feel like going into the season, we obviously were calling it the beast of the East. There was a lot of hype around it, but I think as far as the competitive competitiveness of this side of the conference, I think that's what makes it to where I think the champion could come out of here. I think just the schedule of having to play a lot of the teams that you just mentioned, I think whoever comes out and emerges out of this conference and represents the east side of the conference and the conference championship may be a little bit more battle tested than that western team just through the competitiveness week to week out the east so i definitely think the champion can come out of this conference and i'm not going to spoil any picks yet but it's going to be a very competitive side for sure as far as the east goes in this season yeah absolutely and caden thanks for not spoiling our picks we will make our picks for who both of us think will win the sunbelt east division at the end of this episode We're also going to hand out some preseason awards to our Offensive Player, Player of the Year, and Defensive Player of the Year in the Sunbelt East Division. Well, as we promised, we're going to be previewing the Sunbelt East Division in this episode. Let's not waste any more time. It's time to jump right into today's topic. All right, everyone. As promised, we're going to be previewing the Sunbelt East Division. Caden, I don't know about you, but it was a lot of fun going through and working through each one of these teams. A lot of new faces, but... I think we're going to see some of the same teams that maybe we have historically seen run the East potentially do that again in 2023. Yeah, it's hard when you just look at last season and heading into this season, what teams gained and what teams lost. I think that's going to be a big talking point for this conversation. It's very clear that a lot of the teams that were good last year, there's a lot of reasons in the East, at least to be kind of confirmed and feel good about them heading into this year. So some of those familiar names that we're used to talking about a lot in this program will definitely get talked about a lot in this episode. And I think you and me, it's going to be very interesting to see which ones are maybe more or less optimistic about heading into this year. Well, I did want to make it clear as we start this episode, the order does not predict how we think teams will finish. We simply looked at the Vegas win totals to help kind of give us a framework of how to go through these teams in the Sunbelt East. So, Caden, let's start with a team that has the highest over-under in terms of win totals heading into 2023, and that's the Coastal Carolina Shauna Clears. They come in that over-under sitting at eight wins. That's a really interesting number. Uh, This is the second most experienced team in the Sun Belt, trailing only South Alabama in terms of downs of football that these players have played. They are also playing the third weakest schedule, and even further, you look, they've got 14 starters returning. So let's talk the offensive side of the book. Football. They return eight starters on offense, including the three-time Sunbelt Player of the Year, Grayson McCall. You're also you're getting your top three wide receivers back. You've got Pinkney, Jared Brown, and Mobley. Uh, those three combined for over 2,000 yards a season ago. Kane, we all know that running back room didn't lose anyone. It's going to be stacked again. Four guys who will all put up big-time numbers. And 
This is a coastal offense that put up 29, just over 29 points a game last year, which was their lowest since 2018. Caden, what are you expecting from this coastal offense in 2023? I'm expecting really big things, Noah. I think as far as individual units go, this Coastal Carolina offense, they've lost kind of the least and they've lost the least important things. You mentioned it, only three starters and a play caller. And you have the experienced engine and the keys to a Ferrari almost, I think, if you're Tim Beck right now. I think you have Grayson McCall to run that and he's the gold standard for the quarterback position at the group of five level. And to me, him and the surrounding pieces and the continuity from last year, I have big expectations for this team. The offensive weapons are really exciting. It kind of reminds me, it's reminiscent of the 2019 App State team that Elijah Drinkwitz inherited. He was an offensive mind who inherited a lot of great weapons and great pieces. And that was a team that led the conference in scoring 38 points per game. And I think this offense has big potential to lead the conference in scoring again this year. This is a team that averaged 29 a game last year. There was five teams ahead of them. And I think a lot of those teams could take dips and you can't be as confident just because a lot of them have new quarterbacks. JMU has a new quarterback. App State has a new quarterback. Georgia Southern. Those are things that you kind of don't know you're gonna you don't know what you're gonna get until the season starts. But with Coastal and what you do get, there's a lot to be excited about. And I think their schedule kind of solidifies my take as far as them being the top scoring offense. I think outside of Marshall and James Madison, the East defenses aren't quite as intimidating as they used to be. And with co- cross conference games against Arkansas State, Texas State, I think they played Duquesne, Jacksonville State, an Army team that they scored 38 points against last year. The offense, as far as this team goes, is the least of my worries. I think it's going to be a championship unit. I think a bigger question mark is going to be about this defense that we're going to talk about here in a little bit. Yeah, we'll get right into that defense in a moment. I think you're right about this coastal offense, okay? And this team screams a team that maybe averages 32 to 35 points a game. And, you know, that defense, and we'll jump into it now, is a little bit uncertain. You returned six starters back on defense. You returned just three a season ago. We saw how that worked out. Uh, They lost some notable pieces, though, on that defensive line. I'm looking at Jared Clark, who goes to the NFL, Josiah Stewart, who's now at Michigan. Those were some of the big names that were lost. But, Caden, they're bringing back experience kind of at that linebacker position. Uh, JT Kill and Shane Bruce are both arguably going to be top 10 linebackers in the conference this year. But, Caden, and I know you're going to love to talk about this, really last year when you look at that Coastal team, it was the secondary that was a big problem. They're getting Dre Pinckney back from injury. They surrendered almost 32 points a game, gave up almost 300 yards through the air per game. Under Craig Niver, Caden, should we expect to see improvement defensively from Coastal Carolina? That's the plan for Coastal Carolina, and I think it's really a toss-up when you think of can this unit improve or not from last year, and it's going to be a big part of their championship success and obviously a big point of emphasis for this team. As far as the front seven goes, I have a ton of faith in that group. We love the linebackers, spoke highly of Jaquan Griffin this offseason, Michael Mason on the D-line. I think they're going to have a lot of dudes up there. I think they're going to be able to stop the run. They're going to be able to get after the quarterback. I'm not worried about that. But that secondary, like you mentioned last year, was just atrocious. And that was with experienced corners like Lance Boykin, like DeJordan Strong. Personnel-wise, they bring back some experience. They bring in some transfers that have some promise. But the bad news is they had great cornerbacks last year, all-conference talent. And they still weren't capable of winning the championship because that team or that unit, per se, kind of held them back. The question is, can Craig Niver solve it? I think. This defense struggled, struggled to top the pass, stop the pass in the, historically. And I think when you kind of switch your scheme up a little bit, it kind of puts more pressure on that unit as well. Having the 4-3 now, I think the secondary is going to be under more pressure. And historically, when you look at some of his units, I mean, this guy, he wasn't a co-defensive coordinator since the last time he did that was Texas 2019. That was a team that gave up a ton of yards in the air. Wasn't a great defense overall. Before that, he was at Houston. It was kind of the same problem. He doesn't really have a track record of great secondary units and team um, defenses that can 
suppress scoring. So that does worry me a little bit. But I think with the culture of this team and some of the guys they brought in the level of competition, I think some of the cream of the crop can rise in that secondary and they can see improved play. But that's definitely what you have to circle and look at. This defense doesn't have the hardest job in the world. I think this offense is going to score a ton of points. The issue is this is a team that scored 30 points a game and gave up 30 points a game. So if Craig and Iver can just get this defense on the back end to just give up some points, play some more bend, don't break defense, I think they'll be in a better position than they were last year. But I don't think it's anything or a lock or a sure thing that anyone can count on. I think they just need to improve a little bit to kind of complete this team and really support that offense that's going to be their engine of their success this year. Hey, I've said it once. I'll say it again. If you look back at that team last year, if that defense was maybe 20, 30 spots better nationally, that's easily a a 10-win football team. And I think it's going to be very much the same this year. Can that defense improve just enough? That offense is expected to be dynamic. If that defense gets any better, watch out for Coastal Carolina in the Sun Belt East. Well, Caden, let's move on to uh, a team and and a fan base uh, that loves to talk about their victory over uh, Coastal Carolina at the end of the year, and that is the James Madison Dukes. Uh, They're sitting at an over-under of seven and a half wins. They won eight last year uh, in their first season at the FBS level. They will once again be ineligible for the conference championship as well as a bowl game. There is a chance for them to get into a bowl game. Uh, We'll have to get into that more on a future episode, but Kane, the Dukes are playing the fourth weakest schedule in the league this fall. They're the sixth most experienced team in the league. They're bringing back 13 starters. Let's talk the offensive side of the football where they bring back six guys. Uh, But, Kane, here's what's interesting. They need to find replacements for some legends at this program. A guy like Todd Centeno, who goes and wins Offensive Player of the Year last year. Right now, it kind of appears that Alonzo Barnett and Jordan McLeod are kind of locked in a battle for that QB1 spot. Uh, you look at the running back position where you've got Kalen Black and Latrell Palmer. They're going to try to fill those big shoes left by Percy and Jay Obese. Uh, at wide receiver, Caden, again, you lose Devin Ravenel, you lose Chris Thornton, and you've got Reggie Brown coming back as your leading wide receiver. Is a lot of transfers that they brought in in that position group. Caden, there certainly are questions on this offense heading into the fall, but I think we've learned on this podcast and in the last year, you don't bet against the James Madison Dukes. Yeah, you don't bet against them, but I think just the sheer force of Todd Santeo not being on this offense is where you just simply can't expect the same out of this offense this year. This is a team that had 37 points a game, which was 13th in the nation, and his arm and his legs just like cannot be replicated. He made this transition. Him and the defense truly on this team made this transition to the FBS level very seamless. And outside of Jordan McLeod, this is a young quarterback room. There's a universe where he has a Todd Santeo-esque season, Tino Sinceri, Mike Shanahan, and Kurt Signetti have kind of proven they can groom and develop a quarterback, but just expecting that to be the level that we had at Tonsateo is not, it's just re- unrealistic. And I think when you talk about also losing your top rusher in Percy J. Obese, your top pass catching target in Chris Thornton, I think this offense, what they're going to have to deal with is going to be a lot harder of a season than they did even in their first season kind of transitioning, just with what they lost as far as losing your best thrower, your best catcher, and your best ball carrier. I think I'm not saying this is not going to be a top unit again. I think they have some promising transfer additions. You mentioned the backfield of Kalen Black, Latrell Palmer. There's some good chatter around Tyson Lawton as well. I think they're going to be able to run the ball, but I just think life without Todd Santeo is going to challenge this team and going to bring them new challenges. I'm not saying that they're not going to be capable of it and groomed for it. They're going to have to, they've proved people wrong again. This is JMU that we're talking about, but I'm very excited and interesting to see how this team as a whole, not just the offense, but the defense too, which we'll talk about as well, is going to have to adjust to life without Todd Santeo. Yeah, and I think, Caden, the word right now, probably in our mind, the two words would just be cautiously optimistic when it comes to that James Madison offense. Again, you do have the pieces there. 
Uh, so it could be on par uh, with last year, but certainly some question marks that we will certainly be following as we head into fall camp. Caden, defensively, this is an area where I don't have many questions for James Madison and a big reason why I think that their win total is potentially where it's at. Uh, they're bringing back seven starters on defense. That unit uh, boasted one of the top defensive lines in Division One last year. But uh, gone is Isaac Ukwu. Gone is Jamari Edwards. Uh, but five of the top seven D linemen are back, including all-conference pick James Carpenter, who was highly ranked when we ranked our defensive linemen in the conference. Caden, uh, that linebacking unit could be amongst the league's best with all three starters back. You've got Jalen uh, Walker. You've got Tars Jones uh, manning that. And then Caden, on the back end, they returned six players with starting experience. You've got Josh Surratt, uh, Chief Surratt at safety, Chauncey Logan, who I know both of us are very high on heading into the year. Caden, this is a defense that allowed 20.9 points per game last season. They gave up only 289 yards per contest. With most of their starters back, Caden, it feels like this defense could easily be among the league's best once again. Yeah, we were cautiously optimistic about the offense. We're, we're just optimistic about the defense. This is breaking news. This is one of my favorite units in the conference, and there's not really much to say here. They have a ton of exciting pieces, like you mentioned, and I think the key to their success is going to be how they have those pieces on all three levels of their defense. They're kind of built like those old Baltimore Ravens defenses, kind of down the middle where you have big defensive linemen that are strong up front that can kind of control those A-gaps. You have linebackers that are strong, fast, and athletic that can knock stuff down, and even safeties that are experienced guys that can come down and hit. So this is a scary unit to play. We talked about guys like Jason Carpenter, the Taurus Jones, the Jalen Walkers of the world. We're excited about those players, and I think there's top conference talent all over this place. But I think like I talked about before at the offense, the question is going to be, can they kind of maybe have to take more responsibility if this offense maybe has a little bit of a they have to catch their feet in the beginning of the season have to kind of deal with life like I mentioned without Todd Santeo it's look when both sides of the ball are cooking like this team was last year everything was running smooth everything was going your way it's easy but can this defense kind of knowing that they don't have or seeing that they don't have a Todd Santeo on the other side of the ball that's going to always have their back who's super reliable who's won you all those games can they respond to that can they react to that properly I think they have all the talent in the world they have all the potential in the world they might take a little step back as far as their production just because of some of the teams they have to play this year in their schedule, but sky's the limit for this defense. I think they're going to be a great unit. The question is going to be, can they work cohesively with this offense who may not have as high of a standard as they do? Yeah, and potentially maybe that defense is on the field a little bit more than uh, they had to be a season ago. But uh, James Madison certainly expected to make some noise again in their second uh, year in the Sun Belt, the final year that they won't be eligible for the conference championship. So watch out. Uh, in 2024 when the Dukes are ready to go. Uh, Kane, we'll move on. Number three here, and this is the Marshall Thundering Herd over under currently sitting at seven wins on the season. When you look at their schedule, Caden, they're playing a middle-of-the-road schedule this year. They are, though, bottom half of the league in terms of experience coming back. They're bringing back 11 starters. Uh, Caden, offensively, they return seven starters. You've got your starting quarterback probably in Camp Fancher. He goes 6-1 and one as a starter to end the year a season ago. Uh, the thundering herd, though, Caden, they're going to be without Kalen LeBourne, who is in the NFL, but Marshall uh, is going to get Rasheen Ali back healthy, and uh, a lot of people are pretty excited to watch a healthy Rasheen Ali this season. Caden, they're going to also have experience on that offensive line. They're bringing back three starters. Uh, this is a team, Caden, that when you look at comparatively over the last couple of years, they took a step back offensively last year, just 24 and a half points per game scored. Can they take a step forward in 2023? 
I definitely think I, they can just because there's only a few question marks about this offense, really, and they they all pretty much seem solvable, and they kind of have been on brand with their blueprint as far as how they've been winning games and how they've been effective on offense. The number one question is, is Rasheen Ali going to go back to himself? Based on the small sample size that we saw from him last year, it's safe to say yes, but that season that he had his freshman year was so prolific, it's almost kind of like Todd Santeo at the quarterback position at JMU. It's almost unrealistic to expect that from him, but it, the good news is his freshman season very much resembled what Kalen LeBourne did last year, 1,500 yards and 16 touchdowns for him. Rasheen's freshman year had 1,400 yards and an insane 23 touchdowns, so not worried about him, especially with that offensive line, like you mentioned, in front of him, who is just such a cohesive unit, one of my personal least favorite units to play against because they were so on the same page and rarely make mistakes and just a nasty group. The question is going to be, can they protect the quarterback a little bit better? They struggled at times. Henry Columbia was the eighth most sacked quarterback in the conference last year, and he only played like five games for this team. Camp Bancher wasn't much far behind him. So that's a little bit of where I'm worried about. Speaking of Cam, I know we talked about his development a lot this offseason, and I believe we all want to see a leap out of him and have him really unlock some things in this offense. But Marshall did bring a transfer quarterback and TJ McMahon from Rice, who started nine games for that team last year, had 2,000 yards, 18 touchdowns. He's a good player, a veteran player. I don't know if that's a move that's maybe trying to push Cam forward or compete for that spot if they maybe saw something they didn't like from Cam. But regardless, I'm not really worried about position just because of Marshall's culture. I think whoever starts quarterback for this team won't have to do much because of the run game and the defense. But I do think it's a big position where they can elevate themselves. And I think the biggest question mark and the big thing that could raise that ceiling is if they get a nice weapon out wide. They obviously lose Corey Gamage to the portal, but even he wasn't really like a, a world beater. He led the team in receiving the past three years, though, so that's a ton of production you lose. But he had 400 yards his first year, and that was leading the team 817 yards, 800 and 700 yards, sorry, minimal scoring. But that obviously doesn't really fit the style identity of this team. I think Mason Pierce, though, and Demarcus Harris could be a gr great weapons that could maybe elevate the quarterback position and some explosiveness out wide. But overall, like this team's bread and butter is going to be running the ball. It's going to be that offensive line. It's going to be leaning on that defense. And they're going to be able to do that again. The question is maybe can a couple other things go their way on offense to where they elevate it and maybe score some more points. Yeah, I am fascinated by that quarterback room. Obviously, Cam Fancher is Marshall's representative at Media Day, so uh, not reading into the tea leaves too much, but probably will be the starter to begin the season. But, uh, you know, you mentioned McMahon, you also got Cole Pennington uh, down there that I know a lot of Marshall fans are excited about. So that will be fascinating. Caden, defensively, this is an area where Marshall is, uh, they lose a lot of players from last year, only bringing back four starters. But I'm not really that worried about this Marshall defense. Uh, they're going to be down some notable defensive pieces. You lose Charlie Gray, Abraham Boplan at linebacker. You're gone is Andre Sam and Stephen Gilmore in the secondary. But, Caden, they're going to still have several key cogs. You've got a couple of first-team honorees in Owen Porter and Micah Abraham on the line and in the secondary. You've also got Eli Neal, who was all-conference at linebacker. Uh, this unit, Caden, it almost sounds too good to be true. They gave up 16 points per game last year, 295 yards per contest, uh, which were both amongst the best in the country. Uh, Lance Guidry's gone. Jason Seymour's in, taking over the reins at defensive coordinator. Caden, should we expect to see a similar defense again this year from Marshall? We definitely should. What's not to love? I think, again, this is like JMU, a defense that has all three levels kind of absolutely solid and can't stress enough how crucial that is i mean for an offensive coordinator outside of their scheme the goal is to get the ball in the hands of your best players in the best matchups and when your defense looks like marshall's it's very very hard to find those matchups they're few and far between but you talked about it owen porter and the boys up front they'll be a top 20 issue defensive line probably in the nation love eli neal at that middle linebacker spot calling the shots you use you lose abraham 
like you mentioned in bow plan. But I think if you had to choose one of them to keep on this team, you're keeping Eli Neal in the middle. That's the most important one. And then you mentioned some of those losses in the secondary. It's going to be very interesting to see what life without Stephon Gilmore or Stephen Gilmore, sorry, on the outside look like. Looks like Andre Sam not being there at safety. Those are two great players, but I'm very confident in Marshall's depth and development that they've shown over the years, especially in the defense, especially in the secondary. And I think there's definitely a lot to be optimistic about as far as this team upholding the standard of what they had before. New defensive coordinator, but he's it's defensive coordinator's paradise. When you have some of the pieces and weapons like you have, and you've kind of had the blueprint shown to you before, hey, this is how you be one of the top nations in the de- in the country as far as being a defense. I think there's a lot to be optimistic about when you're Marshall. I'm very excited about this unit this year. Dare I even say a dark horse candidate, perhaps in the East this year, the Marshall Thundering Herd. Well, Caden, we will move on to number four, and this is where them boys for Boone check in. App State uh, over under sitting at six and a half wins this year. So it feels like Vegas thinks that App State's going back to a bowl game in 2023. Caden, uh, they have one of the lighter schedules in the league. They're also a fairly inexperienced team, particularly on that defensive side of the football. They're bringing back 11 starters, but uh, before we talk defense, Caden, I know you want to get into that. Let's talk some offense where they're bringing back seven starters. Uh, two-year starter Chase Bryce is gone from the program. Ryan Berger is back. And Caden, I heard some rumblings that Coach Clark thinks he looks like a lot like one of your friends, Zach Thomas. So it'd be interesting to hear your take on that. Uh, Joey Aguilar is also competing for that starting job with Berger maybe having the slight edge. Nate Noel's back. You've got Amani Marshall and Anderson Castle in the backfield as well. Uh, Caden, I know a guy that you were high on last year, Henry Pearson. He's gone. Christian Wells gone at the wide receiver. But you bring back your top four wide receivers, including Christian. Um, They have also added several interesting transfer portal wide receivers. Uh, They are going to lose a couple of first-team all-conference linemen, but App State always has a good offensive line. Caden, can App State get closer to being what they were in the past on offense this year under Frank Ponce? They definitely can. It's kind of the opposite of Coastal Carolina, and I obviously have a ton of notes on this one, so cut me off whenever, Noah, but it's opposite of Coastal Carolina because they they lose Chase Bryce, and it's for App State right now, it's kind of nervous season. The, the Taylor Lamb era went great. The Zach Thomas era went great. The Chase Bryce era went great. Now the question is, will the Joey Aguilar or Ryan Berger era go the same? It's always stressful when you have to kind of get a new quarterback in there. We never, Nobody knew that Zach Thomas was going to be any good until his first start against Penn State until he he did it, until he proved it. And that's kind of what the feeling is going to be around this team. And they open up with Garner Webb, but then they make a t- trip to Chapel Hill right after that. And I think we may be able to see both quarterbacks in that Garner Webb game just based on how it goes. But regardless, it's going to get very real, very fast for their starter when they have to go to Chapel Hill and their job is to outscore Drake May. So I think there would be more optimism about this position if it wasn't by far the worst season this team's come off of since 2013. But I think that's clearly the most important part. But you talked about it. If this quarterback has any limitations at all, it's going to be up to Frank Ponce to kind of adapt to the personnel he's got. And I think he does have great personnel. You talked about the offensive line being the strength of the team. I think it's going to be arguably the strongest unit offense or defense of this team. I think they're going to have a great year. Nate Noel leading the running back room is great. Akita this season is going to be, can he stay healthy? But I like Amani Marshall back there as well as a number, good running back too that gives them a different big body. Kanye Roberts might emerge this season. Anderson Castle in the mix. They're going to be able to run the ball, not worried about it. And you talked about it. You return four of your top receiving targets from the season before. I think Deshaun Davis is going to be a big breakout candidate this year. Dalton Stroman's very young and talented. First name 
first team all conference as far as names go, Caden Robinson in that unit. So I think it's going to come down to the quarterback and the play caller in Boone, in my opinion. And that's really what this season might come down to for this team as a whole. It's going to be can Frank Ponce and the quarterback, whoever their starter is, can they score points? Can they lead this team to the promised land? Yeah, it'll be interesting because I think, too, what you come to expect from uh, App State is they're going to be able to run the football. So then can that quarterback be an elevator? We saw Chase Bryce be that. Uh, will either Berger or Aguilar be that in 2023? That's what we'll be watching out for. Kane, this is an area I know you're going to want to talk for a while. We don't have a ton of time here, but defensively, four starters back on defense. The defense took kind of a step back a season ago. Obviously, Caden Smith wasn't in the center of it, so that makes sense. Um, they added Michael Fletcher at Michigan State. Uh, you get Sean Collins in from Rutgers uh, on that defensive line. That unit's kind of expected to be on par, if not more physical this year. Uh, six of the top seven linebackers are gone, including Trey Cobb and Nick Hampton. I think that's a big question mark. Andrew Parker's going to play a big role there. Caden, secondary looks a little bit better. Nick Ross, you've got him back at strong safety. You've got Ronald Clark back at free safety. And then you bring in Tyreek Funderburk and EJ Jackson from the portal, along with guys like Ethan Johnson, who they expect to take a big step. It feels like App State's hopes of getting back to a ball or a bowl game, rather, Caden, kind of re revolve around a resurgence on defense. They definitely do. And I've I've strategically tried to keep this one short, and I promise I will. But I'm optimistic this group will improve because it was bad last year. And a lot of what was wrong was not a talent thing. It was the details. It was bad tackling. It was miscommunication. It was busted coverage, not being gap sound. Unlike Coastal, this was like a middle-of-the-pack group and closer to that than actually being very bad. But I have full trust in their new defensive coordinator, Scott Sloan, to improve this unit. The people are probably listening, oh, Caden, you're a homer. You love Coach Sloan. I do, but like his Army defense last year that he co-coordinated was the third ranked in the country as far as yards in the air. His defenses at Georgia Southern, when he was the defensive coordinator there, were top three units in every single season other than his last. And I think he has very similar personnel to those teams bringing in more size from the portal up front, like you mentioned. The linebacker position is a little bit more of a worry just because with that 3-4 scheme, it's a very important position. It's very important that your linebackers especially on the outside and know what they're doing and the guys on the inside are calling the shots. But I think with Coach Sloan and his track record, plus the normal track record of the defensive culture of this team and some of the pieces they have, I think it's safe to say that this will be a better unit. I'm confident it will be better. The question is, can they be better enough to maybe help out the quarterback that might struggle? It's going to be about between the quarterback and the offensive coordinator and this defense as a whole, it's going to be about what's App State's way of winning. Are they going to have to run the ball more? Is their defense going to have to win some games for them? It's going to be about consistency with this team. I think last year there were some games where just the secondary would play bad. The offensive line would play bad. There was kind of hard to be a cohesive team when you have different units of the team not showing up. So I think the question is going to be, can this unit be more consistent? I think the answer is going to be yes, but more optimistic about the defense for sure than last year with this App State team. Yeah, that will certainly be interesting. I appreciate you bringing the receipts there on Scott Sloan. Uh, Kane, let's move on to a team that App State fans love to hate, and that's uh, Georgia Southern. Really, that feeling is mutual between the two fan bases. Uh, Georgia Southern comes in over under of six wins this season in the second year under Clay Helton. They're going to play the second weakest uh, schedule in the Sun Belt. The only schedule that is considered weaker by some publications is the schedule that Louisiana will play. Uh, they're a middle-of-the-road team in terms of experience. They are bringing back 13 starters this year. Okay, the majority of those 13 starters they're bringing back is on the offensive side of the football, but uh, the big question mark on offense is the quarterback position. You had Kyle Van Treese last year. He was as good as advertised. Uh, this year, it looks like they're going to rely on Tulsa transfer Davis Brin, who is expected to replace Van Treese. 
Uh, Kane, I found this interesting. Bryn was actually the leading passer in the nation through three games last season until he dealt with some injuries. So maybe he can fill those big shoes that Van Trees left. They've got an outstanding running back in Jalen White. That wide receiver room is loaded with Derlin Burgess and Caleb Hood back. Uh, they also have three of their five offensive linemen back, a, a group that didn't allow a lot of sacks last year. Kane, this team put up almost 33 points a game last year and threw for 330 yards uh, through the air in Brian Ellis's first season. There were fireworks in Statesboro a year ago. Caden, are you expecting to see more of that this fall? I am, and how could you not be optimistic about this unit? They had the most yards per game, like you said, in the conference last year, over 30 points a game, and that was in a new system year one. I know our friend Jared Banco was very excited and ecstatic to watch that, and I think he's going to see a lot of that this season. Brian Ellis laid out the blueprint, and the blueprint has already shown early success, and I think a lot of elements of that blueprint are back. You talk about the wide receiving course all back, Caleb Hood and Derwin Burgess, Jalen White's back. The offensive line is still stout, and that was a huge and underrated part of their success last year. They have some great experienced guys up front and they kept Kyle Van Treese's jersey absolutely clean last year. I mean, this was a guy that got sacked six times last year. That's nuts. That was 20th in the conference last season. There's guys like Jared Guest and Billy Atkins and Jared Dagey that are ahead of him in that department. And we didn't know they played in just in limited roles and limited starts, just like in injuries in different situations. But I think, I think when you look at that plug and play nature of this team now the quarterback position you're tugging you're, you're plugging in davis brin instead of kyle van trees pretty much everything else stays the same and i think i'm drinking the kyle van or the davis brin sorry that is i'm drinking the davis brin kool-aid right now no i think when you look at the physical tools and the similarities between these two quarterbacks they're both very similar in their games davis brin what he did at tulsa was actually more impressive than what kyle did at buffalo not to knock on Kyle at all. He had an unreal season last year, but he went from a guy that had a career high eight touchdowns to a guy who had 27 touchdowns last year, 1800 yards to 4,000 yards last year. Davis Brin has had some seasons that you could argue were much better than what Kyle Van Trees does. He has an 18 touchdown season, a 17 touchdown season, 3000 yards, 4,000 yards. This is a guy who already is used to being more of a gunslinger, a guy who's used to throwing 50 balls a game if he has to 60 pass attempts. And I think if you're in, if you're in Statesboro right now, you should be optimistic about Davis Brin stepping into this offense as a proven guy who can carry that offensive load. And I'm very excited about this unit. The question is going to obviously come down a lot more to their defense. But I think offensively, if they can get some even a little bit more help from their defense. I think sky's the limit for this offense. And then, Caden, you know, looking on that defensive side of the football for Georgia Southern, they're going to return four starters on defense. That defense was kind of among the worst in the NCAA last year. Almost 500 yards per game, giving up 32 points per game. Uh, they lost third team or Justin Ellis up front uh, in the linebacking core. You've got Cadre Jackson and Marcus Watson Trent back uh, to lead that group. Despite though losing four of their top six players in the secondary, you're expecting to see some improvement there after multiple FBS transfers come into the program. Caden, it feels like much like Coastal Carolina, if that defense can make any bit of improvement, uh, Georgia Southern seems like maybe a dark horse candidate in that Sunbelt East. 100% agree. Very similar to Coastal Carolina in their situations. And they definitely have a huge shot of being a dark horse team if this defense can deliver. I think the good news is, is I think, I think, Noah, that they cannot get worse. There's no way they can be even more bad than they were last year. I'll give them the benefit of the doubt just because their offense does make it hard on their defense. If you're playing and you have an air raid offense on the other side of opposite of your defense, you're going to be on the field a lot. You're going to score a lot. They were 13th to last in time of possession this season so they were on the field a lot this year the team that's actually very last is in this conference as well and we'll get to that later a little spoiler and preview for you but I do not like what they lost losing Derek Canteen and Tyler Bride 
getting the transfer portal and going to Minnesota and Virginia Tech. Not great signs. Those are two great players. Bride had a ton of pass breakups last year. Canteen was a freshman All-American. Anthony Wilson's a big loss in the secondary as well. He goes to West Virginia. 102 tackles last year. That was fourth in the conference. So I do not I do not like those losses. But look, we can talk all about the personnel, what they brought in the portal, what they lost. But at the end of the day, like you mentioned, this team had the same issue as Coastal. They score 32 points a game. They give up 32 points a game. The question is, can Brandon Bailey improve this unit just in the slightest? Can this team translate into just not bad defense? Can they get off the field? Can they get some field goals instead of touchdowns? Maybe a few turnovers would be nice. I think this defense, if his defense last year at Buffalo, they gave up 27 a game. That's very mid. It's not great, but that would swing some games for this Georgia Southern team last year. So I think they can just get a little bit area of improvement and the offense stays the same or maybe even gets better with a guy like Davis Brin elevating them. I think, yes, this is a dark horse team. It's just going to come down to a couple things on the defense and keeping that offense tight and efficient like they were last year. Yeah, certainly a Georgia Southern team that, Caden, I know you and I are high on. We both feel like they can get back to a bowl game and maybe even move to be an eight-win football team in 2023. Caden, two left here in the Sun Belt to East Georgia State. They come in at uh, an over-under of five-and-a-half wins. They're playing an extremely difficult schedule. Caden, they've got seven starters back on offense. You've got Darren Granger, who was our number three quarterback in the Sun Belt. You do lose your top two leading rushers. Tucker Gregg is gone. Jam Williams is gone. But Marcus Carroll is still around. He's going to be that RB1. Uh, Jamari Thrash also left, notably for Louisville. Uh, So Georgia State is going to be looking for that number one ride receiver. But Robert Lewis might be that guy in the slot. Uh, Kane, they lost a lot of leadership on that offensive line. You lose three starters from last year. Um, but they've really reloaded well. Caden, is this an achievable number, 30 points a game, which is what they scored last year? Do you think that's achievable again this year for Georgia State? Yeah, I'm going to zag a little bit here and just say based off their schedule and personnel, I'm going to say no. I think there's just more reason to bet against this unit taking a step forward versus a step back. And I think the way they can take a step forward, it would mean Darren Granger would probably have to take another step forward. And don't get me wrong, we would love to see that, but I think he'd have to very much put his Superman cape on to elevate this unit just based on what they lost. And this team has a seven game stretch where the defense they face or the defenses they face are Troy Marshall, Louisiana, Georgia Southern, not as scary James Madison app state, which say what you want, but that team has not scored 20 against app state since 2019 in a blowout. And then last but not least LSU. So I think this team lost in bunches last year. They had lost four straight to start the season, three straight to end. And I think that stretch is where they could maybe get some losses in some bunches, and I think their offense would suffer as a, resor- as a result of that. Love Marcus Carroll. I think he's a breakout candidate, but I think the depth and resiliency of that running back room is really going to get tested, especially not having a durable presence like Tucker Gregg out there, who's just an Iron Man who plays game in and game out. And Jamari Thrash is obviously a hu- huge loss, and I'm not very particularly enthousi- enthusiastic about any of the players they brought in on the skill side of the ball for um, receiving weapons. But at the end of the day, this team is going to likely still be able to run the ball. That's what they do. But until you're doing it as a team with those pieces like Marshall has on defense with a pass game like James Madison or App State, I just don't see it really attributing to wins in my eyes. I think it's going to be a lot of the same of what we saw last year at Georgia State. They're going to be able to run the ball. They're going to be able to effective. But can their defense lift them? Can some pass catchers outside lift them up? That's going to be the question as far as can it result in wins and losses. Yeah, and Caden, you know, to your point, I do really feel good about this defense for Georgia State. They bring back six of their top eight tacklers from a season ago. Uh, they are going to be moving to a four-man front this year, which should be fascinating to watch. They've added several big transfers, including Henry Bryant from Louisville. You bring in Kevin Swint uh, from Clemson. 
Kane, that linebacking unit could be as good as any in the conference. Uh, Jordan Venzial, you've also got Blake Carroll there. Uh, the secondary, though, took a big hit. You lose Quavian White and Tavius Lane, who transfers out of the program. They've added some interesting depth pieces, Caden. Uh, and I know that you and I are both very high on Brightweese Brown uh, in the secondary. But, Caden, if that Georgia State team wants to improve defensively, it seems like they're going to need to really lean on that linebacking unit this fall. Yeah, I think their linebacking core is definitely going to be the tip of the spear for them, and I think it's going to have to anchor their defense. This unit's gotten progressively worse at stopping the run ever since 2020 when they were second best in the conference, and they were holding teams to 136 yards per game on the ground. But I'm confident they can get back to that with this change of scheme given their personnel. I think there's a chance that if you look at their front seven, if they they can get four out of those seven guys to be Jordan Venzio, Blake Carroll, Kevin, Kevin Swint, maybe get Javon Dennis in there, maybe get John Trey Hunter in the action. I'm not worried at all about this team stopping the run. I think they're going to be sound up front. I'm more worried about them in coverage a little bit, but not overall. I think that's going to be the strength of this team overall is that front seven. But like offense, this defense, they're going to be able to run the ball. They're going to be able to stop the run. I think the question is going to come down to those skill players. I don't like that they lost Antavius Lane and Quay White. They have to rely now on developed players getting their first shots as a full-time starter, as upperclassmen, veterans who've been playing majority in a backup role, majority in special teams. That's what I came up on, so I'm not saying there's reason to be doubtful about this unit. They have a few promising transfers as well, but kind of like I mentioned before with Coastal, this is a team that's now going to a 4-3 defensive scheme, so there is going to be more pressure on some of those newer faces in the secondary. The question is going to be, can they in the defensive backfield and the receiver room, really the skill players on the outside, can they elevate this team and take them to another winning level because there's going to be a lot on their plates as far as responsibility of wins and losses I think this season yeah Georgia State's a fascinating case they're sitting at that five and a half over under can they get to a bowl game in 2023 certainly that'll be something we'll be keeping our eyes on Caden finally we look at Old Dominion this is a team that I'm not as optimistic about three and a half wins the over under uh, I do think maybe they could outperform that uh, their schedule is in the top half of the league in terms of toughness. They are also the most experienced or rather inexperienced unit in the Sun Belt, just seven starters back. Hayden, offensively, they're going to be without their starting quarterback, Hayden Wolf. They're leading rusher, Blake Watson, and their top wide receiver in Ollie Jennings. You also lose Zach Kuntz. Uh, new offensive coordinator, Kevin Deckers, with the program. He led that Fordham offense, which was one of the best in college football a season ago. Uh, Grant Wilson, who was the backup at Fordham, is expected to be QB1 this year. Uh, also keep an eye out at the running back position. Hearing good things about the Juco product, Kadarius Calloway uh, as the running back. Javon Harvey, I think, could maybe fill the shoes of Ollie Jennings uh, this year. Caden, ODU is going to be depleted at offensive line. They lost three starters. There's a lot of turnover in Norfolk heading into the fall. Do you expect it to pay off? I do not know, unfortunately. Old Dominion fans, cover your ears for this one. But a, a wise man who works for On3 by the name of J.D. Pakel, he said this a few weeks ago in a video, and he was referring to head coaching hires, and I think it applies to coordinating hires and jobs too. They are not all created equally. What Travis Trickett inherited as an offensive coordinator at Coastal is very different than what Kevin Decker is inheriting right now at Old Dominion. His offense was very successful at the FCS level at Ford, and we talked about that Josh Heupel style of offense. But his personnel at Fordham relative to that league versus what he's getting at Old Dominion relative to the Sun Belt. It's just not a ton to be optimistic about. I think like Jam, you you lose your best thrower, you lose your best ball carrier, you lose your best receiving weapon. And he was one of the best weapons in the nation. And it's not ideal. I think even Hayden, when Hayden Wolf was on this roster, I was a little bit more optimistic about this offense, but him leaving after spring ball just doesn't 
really sit well with me. And I think maybe the Fordham backup, like you mentioned, that's coming in, Grant Wilson, he might know the offense well enough to run it efficiently, but he might not have much time to throw the ball back there. This is an offense where Hayden Wolf was the fourth most sacked quarterback in the conference last year. Not a great O-line, like you mentioned. I think Javon Harvey is going to be a great breakout candidate. I love him at the slot receiver spot in the slot, being able to get behind the secondary. He has a knack for that, but that's pretty much all I'm optimistic about for this unit. Going to be very interested to see how this new offense looks, but just given what they lost, what they're running in the situation they're in, I'm not super up on this offense this season, that's for sure. Kane, and I had the feeling you're going to feel the same way about this defense. Just three starters back. Uh, This is a unit that allowed nearly 27 points per game a season ago, which was their fewest, though, in the last seven years. Uh, That defense, you get Jason Henderson back once again. The defensive line uh, really isn't expected to have a true star this year, but it does have a chance to maybe show improvement over last year's unit. Uh, Trey Hawkins, rather, Tobias Hawkins are uh, gone from the secondary, but the unit brings back uh, Terry Jones, LaMarion James uh, on that secondary. Caden, it's easy to wonder if, given the departures, uh, whether this defense is going to be able to show improvement this fall. Yeah, for so for me, I think I'm actually more optimistic about the defense and the offense of this team. The key is that steady improvement, like you mentioned. Their defensive coordinator, Blake Sealer, is entering his fourth season on the job, and his unit has been improving, and I think he's also the inside linebackers coach. It's clear that him and Jason Henderson are on the same page. It's going to be about getting the rest of the defense there. This unit is not that bad. I do not like what they lost. I really do not like what they gained either. But I think they're, they're, they were bad on paper last year. They gave up the most yards in the conference, but they weren't the worst scoring defense, which kind of shows some of that break, don't bend this. This is a team that they any game they won last year of their three, their defense played great for the most part, which they did in various moments last year, but their offense didn't really hold up their end of the bargain. They held Marshall to 12 points last year. They held Virginia to 16 points last year. They did not win those games. And as I mentioned before, spoiler alert, this was the team that was the worst in the country as far as time of possession, which means their defense was on the field more than any other defense in the country, which is a huge task when your offense is just going three and out. The team that was second worst in the country was Tennessee, the only other team in the nation that held teams whose offense was only on the field 24 minutes a game. And that's because they were a, they were a well-oiled machine over there at Tennessee. They were not on the field because they were scoring so much. It was the opposite problem for Old Dominion. They didn't get many favors from their offense. They didn't get any many favors from the transfer portal. Both of these units will probably look a little bit most, for the most part, the same as they did last year. But I am a little bit more optimistic about what I've seen from this defense versus the offense in the past and going forward. Well, certainly we will keep an eye on that uh, as we move into the fall. Well, Caden, we are running out of time on this episode, but we promised the listeners some predictions uh, for the Sunbelt East Division. We wanted to name a you know player of the year candidate, an offensive and defensive player of the year candidates from uh, the Sunbelt East Division. We'll do it for the West in our episode on Wednesday. Caden, we're also going to name our East Division champion. So go ahead and walk me through your award predictions first, and we'll get to our division champions uh, a little bit later on. Yeah, I'll make it quick for awards, the player of the year for the entire conference. Spoiler alert, it's it's Grayson McCall is my pick. It's hard to bet against this guy, just given him winning this award, you know, three times before. So definitely have to go with Grayson McCall as far as offensive player of the year, or player of the year. Sorry, don't have to really explain that too much for offensive player of the year though I'm going to go with Rasheen Ali I'm expecting a freshman-esque breakout season for him I think Marshall's going to be a good winning football team this year which also has a big contributor as far as winning 
these individual awards. And I think if Marshall's going to be as successful as I think they will be this year, I think a lot of it will be Rasheen Ali. And I think he's going to regain the respect of a lot of coaches and players in the conference this season. And kind of for opposite reasons for defensive player of the year, I'm going with Old Dominion's Jason Henderson. I think he has another year where he's one of the top tackle guys in the country. I think when it comes down to voting, there's going to be coaches that can't really deny that he's the best defensive player they play. And I think this is now that moment where we see maybe the torch get passed down from Carlton Marshall to Jason Henderson as far as that top tackler perennial best defensive player in the conference. So those are my award picks. Well, Caden, I love when we disagree. And, uh, you know, we are not going to disagree on our player of the year picks. That was going to be Grayson McCall for me as well. Again, he's the three-time reigning or player of the year. I think you've got to pick him in the preseason here. Uh, But Caden, we are both completely different in terms of our offense and defensive player. Offensive player, I went dark horse here, Caden, a player that I think could have a big year similar to another quarterback a season ago that did, that maybe didn't get as much recognition. And so I'm going with Georgia Southern's Davis Brin here. I feel like he could have a big season in Brian Ellis's system if he stays healthy. Uh, so give me Georgia Southern's Davis Brin as my offensive player of the year pick. Caden, defensive player of the year, you go with Jason Henderson. I go with Owen Porter of Marshall. I love what he did last year. He's a true game record, that defensive line position. I think he's going to be a guy. He's coming back for another year. He wants to win this Marshall team a championship. He's hungry. Look for Owen Porter to have a big year. Uh, So, Caden, those are my award predictions. And, Caden, I'll make my call. Uh, We did this last year uh, in the Sun Belt East. I took App State. That didn't look so good at the end of the year. Uh, Caden, here's where I'm going this year. I'm sticking with Coastal Carolina. Definitely there are questions for Coastal Carolina on defense, but one area of the football there are no questions is that offense. I think that offense can put up between 32 and 35 points a game uh, heading into the fall. So give me Coastal Carolina to once again uh, rule the East uh, in 2023. I like the pick. That's definitely a good pick. That's definitely a safe pick, I think, just given them being in the conference last year in the championship game. I'm going to switch it up a little bit here. No, I think this year and what I learned from Troy, I'm trying to reflect on what I learned last year and carry it into this season. I'm going to go with Marshall being my pick out of the East. I think when you look at their schedule, I think they're going to be the, one of the more battle-tested teams in the conference, having to play Virginia Tech, having to go to NC State this year. And I think they will fare well in those games and that'll make them more battle-tested. But as far as what they bring to the table, very confident in that defense, very confident in that run game. We saw how good that was to Troy last year. Grayson McCall is obviously a great player and a great quarterback that can lead his team. But I think when it comes down to fourth quarter winning games, I think this Marshall team is going to have what it takes to maybe tough some teams out late in games in those fourth quarters and ultimately probably get on a run here, I think, during the season throughout the conference. So I'm picking Marshall as my pick to represent the East in the conference championship this year. Well, I always love predictions. It puts us on record, Caden. It will certainly be follow or fun to follow those as the season goes on. Well, that will do it for this episode of the Frary and Smith podcast. Thanks for your continued support of the show throughout the offseason. We're excited to continue interacting with you as we get set for the 2023 Sunbelt football season. Again, here's a quick reminder about our mailbag. If you have Sunbelt football-related questions at any time throughout Uh, the season, send them our way by emailing prairieandsmith at gmail.com. We certainly would love to hear from you, our valued listeners. Before you go, though, don't forget that we'll be back with the next episode of the Prairie and Smith podcast on Wednesday. Kane and I, much like this episode, we're going to be breaking down the Sunbelt West Division and also making our predictions there for the upcoming season. Well, that'll do it for us here at the Prairie and Smith podcast. As always, if you like today's episode, take a moment to like, rate, and subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts. It really helps us and the show out. We're going to continue to bring you some great content about Sunbelt football throughout the 
brief remainder of the offseason. So for Caden Smith, Richmond Weaver, and Brett Jemis, I'm Noah Prairie. Thanks for joining us today. Well, that's goodbye for now. We'll talk to you again soon.